So there's nothing worse in a church service than for the minister to do something unexpected from the pulpit. <laughs> it's like, look, Justin's getting up to do the reading, then psych! Why is he singing? There isn't a song in the order of service. It says reading. I'm looking right at it now. It says reading. Joking aside, uh, this week the staff and I were talking about the service and I said, so this is, this is going to be a dark one. Uh, depression, anxiety, the works. And Christy was like, so all the music's really happy? And it was, it was she recommended I sing this song because the uh, words to that song are very poignant. And when we got together to work on it, Christy reminded me that it might be a little strange to go from a song about isolation and depression, then sing Habari Nizuri Good News. And that had me thinking, yeah, it's pretty strange. Uh, the Gary Jules cover of this Tears for Fears song that I sung. It's called Mad World. And the lyrics in the beginning begin, All around me are familiar faces, worn out places, worn out faces, bright and early for their daily races, going nowhere. Tears filling up their glasses, no expression. Hide my head, I want to drown my sorrow. No tomorrow, no tomorrow. The song even goes on to say in the chorus, the dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had. It's a, it's a dark song. Um, though the original is peppy, it's a new wave synth uh, when Tears for Fears does it, but the Gary Jewell version that many people know from the movie Donnie Darko is dark and slow it's a little weepy it's about isolation but even more than that it's about monotony in the inner world in which many of us live feeling utter disconnection and isolation hits home when we hear at least some of us that song the words went on i went to school and i was very nervous no one knew me Teacher, tell me what's my lesson. She looks right through me. Christy reminded me that putting these two songs together is just tonally weird. And I reflected on that, because it is. And we thought, well, we could move this here, this here, this, the other. What does it mean to put a song about isolation right next to an upbeat, happy, exciting song like Habari, Missouri, Good News? And it occurred to me, Yes, it's weird. And that's the sermon. See, sometimes isolation and loneliness and grief take place within us and for us during celebratory spaces. Sometimes we feel like we're dying inside while the rest of the world is joyful. And sometimes we are the ones shouting for joy when our neighbor is dying inside. Keeping it to themselves so they don't ruin their mood or ruin the mood of jubilation. And it doesn't mean we are wrong to celebrate. We need to celebrate. We need to sing with joy. We need to rest in hope. We need to adulate in good news, especially in this world, which leaves us at a conundrum well identified by author E.B. White, who said, if the world were merely seductive, that would be easy. If it were merely challenging, that would be no problem. But I arise in the morning torn between a desire to improve or save the world 
in a desire to enjoy or savor the world. This makes it very hard to plan the day. E.B. White articulates the dissonance that is mad world and good news. And it makes me wonder how often do we or anyone else wear the smile, singing the words, hoping for a change in feeling while still dying inside. The world we live in requires and expects us to wear masks over our inner selves and over our feelings and who we are. How often do we say, hey dude, how you doing? Without really wanting to hear how they're doing. How often do we say fine when we're not? And for the marginalized identities, this masking can be life or death. I came across this collection of writings uh, of art and uh, stories while I was at the punk rock flea market the other day. It was gathered by Darcy McFarland, and this collection is called Bible Belt Queers. It's an anthology of the experiences of LGBTQ people in the area traditionally called the Bible Belt. And in Unitarian Universalism, we know this area to be called the Southern Region. Jordan Ventinelli writes a poem called Staying Safe. They write, Kiss your partner before you open the door. Make sure the blinds are closed. Once you step into the harsh outside world, don't show affection and don't look back. Walk fast with keys poised between your fingers like your life depends on it. When you get home, lock the door. Check the window for moving figures. Double check the lock. Suffer through the heat at night because it's safer than opening the balcony. The author, for the author, safety means hide who you are because it's unsafe to be who you are. But see, the issue is broader than that. Following the trial of Michael Brown's killers in the fact that they would never be sentenced, Tanahasi Coates pens a letter to his son that would be published in a book called Between the World and Me, saying, Here is what I'd like you to know. In America, it's traditional to destroy the black body. It is heritage. And yes, that's a harsh statement. But it's one that many Americans cope with on a daily basis. Especially when it comes to an extra piece of education that African American boys receive that many white children do not in regard to policing that is often given by their parents. We also have laws that push people into hiding. If you read the Tulsa World, you'll see an article every day about our state and local education system. In many of those articles highlighting the continuing degradation of the separation of church and state, Where do I start? Public funds going to religious schools, dangerous rhetoric from leaders that leads to threats of violence, continued limitations placed upon what is allowed to be taught in the classroom. There's a very prominent idea that we are not allowed to put uh, put books in our libraries that highlight LGBTQ identities. 
We can't talk about American history around race. And science must be approved by parents. In this goal of, uh, in the, uh, it, it is the goal of some of our leaders to force onto school systems a curricula, um, Prager U, that articulates slavery was a good thing. The founding fathers wanted schools to be faith based and that indigenous peoples were better off abducted by Christopher Columbus than staying with their families. This environment, let's be honest, is hostile to anyone who does not fit in it. And cultural masking goes much deeper. Uh, Jesus, the night before he died, went with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. The story is slightly different in the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But it's pretty much the same. He says something to the matter of, My soul is deep in anguish unto death. Would you stay up with me while I pray? In other words, I'm dying inside and I don't want to be alone. He sits in the garden and he prays and the words of an old hymn pop into my head instead of the actual reading that say, Abba, Father, Father, if indeed it may let this cup of anguish pass from me, I pray. But if it must be suffered by me, thine only son, Abba, Father, Father, let thy will be done. And I suspect that the Gospels are summarizing this event because they only give it like, you know, because they say he's out for an hour. And that's pretty quick. But then maybe there's not much to say when you're dying on the inside. When he comes out, uh, the three disciples that he'd taken with him, his closest friends, had fallen asleep. And he came to wake them and ask them if they could stay awake while he did this again. And he prayed for another hour and he came and they'd fallen asleep. He came and he woke them again. He went and prayed for another hour and when he came back, they were awoken by the police who were taking them uh, in, uh, that were arresting him. I used to wonder what it was like to feel that isolated, that alone. To need a thing that cannot be provided, to want nothing more than to be fully connected to the people that love me, than to realize that they can never really know me. That no matter how honest we are, how well we listen, how well we are listened to, there will always be a segregation between souls that cannot connect. Then I realized I do know what that feels like. You can only know me, perception aside, to the degree in which I wish to be known and to the degree in which you wish to know me. And that's still laced with considerable assumption. The reality of the matter can lead down a very dark hallway reminding us we will never truly be known by another. And even then, can we truly know ourselves? I wonder sometimes if the human desire to create gods has more to do with loneliness than power. Three times Jesus asked, wait up with me so I need not be alone. And three times they fell asleep leaving him alone. Isolation and loneliness take root for many reasons. I, I highlighted the fear of the LGBTQ community 
Uh, I alluded to the classist and racist reasons as well. And I, I mentioned that we're enacting laws that magnify that isolation. But it's more than that. I was watching this old stand-up comedy show from the 90s. A guy named Mitch Hedberg, uh, who's known for a certain indescribable tone in a comedy that comes from the dry wit that a, only a stoner can provide. He, one of his most popular bits was, uh, I went to buy a donut, and they gave me a receipt for the donut. I don't need a receipt for the donut. I'll just give you the money, you give me the donut. We do not need to bring ink and paper into this. I just can't imagine having to prove that I bought a donut. Some skeptical friend, you don't think, some skeptical friend might come up and say, you don't think I bought the donut? I have the documentation right here. It's filed under D for donut. It, it was his dry wit in, um, and in his style, like no other, he has another great bit about club sandwiches. But um, there's this one joke that I was lying in bed listening to or watching on my tablet. And I thought, oh, that goes in the sermon. He said, alcoholism is a disease, but it's the only disease you can get yelled at for having. He goes on to say that if you yell at someone for lupus, it doesn't necessarily sound right. See, our culture isn't very good at understanding at a practical level mental health. Mental health doesn't fit into our work-life balance. We are still taught to be ashamed of neurodiversity. We are encouraged to stifle depression and anxiety. And God forbid one need medication to help make life better. I hear a lot about over-medicating especially children. I understand that over-medication is a thing, but it sounds to me like they're often saying any medication is considered too much. Not to mention that most, uh, when it comes to ADHD, depression, or anxiety, those things are often tied to moral failing as opposed to chemical dysregulation, which they are. As someone who's utilized considerable therapy, takes medication, and is proudly neurodivergent, I would often recommend therapy to others, and I would hear the reaction, I'm not crazy, I don't need a shrink, I just need to get my life together. And I often want to say, how's that going for you? But maybe I'm digressing. Because this sermon is really just me trying to explain why I stuck Mad World next to Good News. And it occurs to me that very emotional songs have more to do with or more in common than we often think they do. To go back to E.B. White's quote, uh, quote, I arise in the morning torn between the desire to improve or to save the world and the desire to enjoy or to savor the world. And looking back, I've spent so much time in this sermon talking about the save side of the sermon. I've been talking about the times that we would most likely not want to savor. Because the truth is, given everything I've said, we should celebrate. But we don't celebrate in a vacuum. 
We can know in our celebration that bad things are happening to people and people are going through hard times. And we can know this because bad things have happened to us and we have been through hard times. The celebration is a reminder of the transience that is joy and sorrow. And the kicker is, sometimes that joy and sorrow are taking place at the same time. Sometimes we feel both together. When I was in hospice, I would sit with people shuffling off this mortal coil, and I would often wonder, I wonder who's being born right now. Those things happen together. And the problem is that there is no easy answer when it comes to saving or savoring this world. Maybe all we can do is live honestly, in good faith, with the knowledge that we will take seriously the sorrow of others and we can celebrate that others will take seriously ours. What we can't do is forget that there are people around us right now dying inside while we sing good news. But it doesn't mean we don't sing good news. It just means we pay attention. So as you go forth this week, I ask you to consider, should you save this world or should you savor it? And how? Thank you for listening.